This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The second lesson is from Romans chapter 6. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who, di- who died in sin go on to living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed. And we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Holy wisdom, holy word. Our reading from the life of Jesus today is found in Matthew's gospel, the 10th chapter. Jesus said to the 12, A disciple is not above the teacher, and a slave is not above the master. It's enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and it's enough for the slave to be like the master. Now, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more are they going to malign the rest of the household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell it in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's knowledge. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You're of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus the Christ, who is 
risen from the dead. Amen. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Consider yourself dead and alive. Dead and alive. Wow. Uh, A guy was sitting on a couch one evening and his wife says, I need you to take out the garbage. He said, I can't do that, I'm dead. And she just kind of looked at him, exasperated. Oh, well, do you think dead men feel pain? And he says, no, I don't. So she reaches over and pinches him just as hard as she can possibly pinch him. And he jumps and says, wow, what do you know? Dead men can feel pain. I'm not taking out the garbage. So this is kind of the question today. Are you dead or are you alive? Are you dead and are you alive? That's Paul's question, and his answer to that question is yes. Um, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. It's the first of his letters when you start looking through the New Testament, but it's actually one of the last letters that was written. Uh, It's one of the fullest, deepest, most theologically complex letters. It's the longest, and um, we're going to read from it. We're going to read from it for a long time now. We're going to read little snippets of it starting now all the way into November. Uh, We're not going to preach on it every week. That's not it. But I want you to have a little sense of what this letter is about. Paul is writing to a group of people who... um, who already believe. He's not trying to convince them about Jesus rising from the dead. What he's trying to talk to them about is, well, what difference does it make? What does it make in your life? And he uses this analogy of alive and dead. Um, And evidently, there are some people who are in Rome, in the church, and they are um, turning it over a bunch of times, and they ask this fairly logical question. I don't think it comes off that way when you just hear it in the reading. But this is what the question was like. Since God's forgiveness is free, since every time I do something wrong, God forgives me, since God's love is extravagant and radical and relentless, and I experience that every time I screw something up, maybe I should just keep screwing more things up. Maybe I should just sin all that much more so that I can experience that much more of God's love and God's grace, in Paul's words, so that grace could abound. Should I sin all the more so that grace could abound? Now, there is a kind of logic to that, that more sin equals more forgiveness. And why, why should I try so hard not to sin if I'm going to be forgiven? And maybe I ought to just embrace that. Maybe I just, I'm just going to live the life the way it is, and I'm just going to live for myself, and sin is what it is, and I'm just going to keep on sinning. Well, Paul answers the question by referring to, to baptism. Baptism was not a new ritual at the time of Paul. Uh, Paul didn't invent baptism, nor did John the Baptist, nor did Jesus. Um, Jews always baptized and still do. A lot of people aren't aware of that because they don't use that term. Baptismo, it means, means to wash. Uh, you baptize before weddings. You, you baptize for purification rituals after um, the birth of a child. When someone converts to Judaism, you wash. And uh, it was always done with running water at a stream or a lake, or you collected rainwater to do that. In any mosque or any temple that you go into still, there'll be a place where you can baptize, where you can wash. You can wash your hands and your feet in a ritual kind of way. So that wasn't a new idea. But the idea that you would be baptized for repentance. That was a whole different concept. And no Jew would allow themselves to be baptized for repentance because repentance is what sinners did and we're not sinners. We're God's beloved people. 
Now, I hope kind of a light bulb might go off there a little bit because that problem's been with the church from the very beginning when Jesus got baptized. John the Baptist is out there in the River Jordan. He's baptizing people in the baptism of repentance. And there shows up Jesus, who Scripture says is without sin, and he's baptized. And so they start working on that question very early on in the story of Jesus, and it, it doesn't clear itself up too quickly. So he's in the water, baptism of repentance, and when he comes out, the dove and the words, this is my beloved son. So it's a really difficult question, especially for the baptism of Jesus. Is he being baptized to be cleansed, to be purified as a sinner, or is he being baptized as a ritual or um, some kind of commissioning into the faith? And let me say it a different way. Is, is baptism about being a sinner, or is it about becoming a saint? And which one of those are you right now? Are you a sinner or are you a saint? And Paul's answer to that is, yes, you are both of those. Leslie Newbegin once said that if you cannot see the kingdom of God coming into the world right now, it's because you're facing in the wrong direction. I'll let that sit there for a moment. If you can't see the kingdom of God coming in the world because you are in the wrong direction, you're focused on the past or you're focused on yourself or you're focused on something else that you want to create rather than looking and turning to what God is creating, what God is bringing into the world. Paul's language, which Luther adopts, is that the old self, the old ways, the old things, they all die. And a new thing comes out, a new creation. Uh, Now, you die in baptism, but you don't get buried. Um, you change. You, you turn, um, which is a little meaning of the word repent. You let go of the past of sin and shame, immorality, and all the old stuff dies and forgotten is wiped away. And from that, a new life begins, which, of course, is Paul's whole point. And it makes the question of, um, should I sin all the more, seem kind of silly. Of course not. Um, you died to all of that. You have died with Christ to that, and now you're living with Christ for something else. And it's why I wanted to start at the baptismal font today. It's why baptism is so very important to us in the church. It's why we put our hands in the water coming in and out of the worship space. It's why we make the sign of the cross when we gather. It's not so that God will love us. We don't get baptized so that God will love us. God already loves us. And it's not so that we'll get to heaven. God already does that. It's about the death of the old and about a new creation that is rising in our own lives, a new being uh, who lives like Christ in the world, radically, relentlessly, extravagantly, no longer self-intoxicated, no longer trusting power and money and might, but living in Christ and living as Christ in the world. So no, says Paul, no. Should I sin even more? Of course not, absolutely not. That's crazy. You have died to sin with Christ, and what you are about now is you are rising to a new life in Christ. One of my favorite preachers, uh, William Willimon, uh, once asked this group of, of people that he was with, um, has anyone ever died in order to become a Christian? And there was a lot of silence when he asked that kind of deep question. Has anybody ever died to become a Christian? Finally, there was an older guy in the group, and he said, you know, uh, many years ago, I thought that, um, that I could not live in a world where... Black people were treated the same as white people. And that when segregation ended, I thought that I would literally die, that my world would come to an end. But it didn't. It didn't. 
He said, my next door neighbor is black. He's become my best friend. But it was like something had to die in me in order for a new creation to come out. Something had to die. Had to die. That's not exactly keep on sinning so that God's grace will abound. Something inside us has to die so that a new creation can take root. Now, there are Christians in the world who are of the understanding that you get saved by doing something, by good behavior or uh, good works. Uh, and I want to be really careful because that's not what I'm saying. You have to do these good works in order for God to love you. Frankly, all of that's just a form of legalism. It negates everything that Christ did on the cross and, and rising from the tomb. And it's definitely not what I'm saying. The question Paul is wrestling with is, now that I know that I am loved unconditionally by God, that I always have been and I always will be, should I just keep on sinning or, or what? What is it I'm supposed to do? Does dying with Christ, does rising with Christ mean anything about how I am supposed to live with my life right now? And the answer is it does. And I want to tell you a couple of things that it means. First of all, and this is a little tricky at first, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to stop sinning. You're not going to have this moment where you say, I just believe and I'm never going to do anything wrong again. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. The church, then and now, unfortunately, is proof of that. We're saved. We're loved. We're the body of Christ on earth. We are committed to living in love and mercy and peace and justice and reaching out to the world with love. But we still sin. We sin all the time. We're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. It's why we gather, in fact. It's why... Regardless of what style of format worship we do, it's why it's so important for us to admit that we're not God and we're not holy and we're not perfect. We don't want to sin, but, but we do. We don't have the option of not sinning. Which really leads to the second thing. This is where another option comes into play. That sin has no hold over us, however. It's not that I, I can stop sinning, but the power of sin no longer has hold over me. You're, you're free from it. And you're not free from the consequences of it. You're not, that's why it's so important when you love God and love your neighbor to be careful about your life. But you are free from all of the shame and all of the worry and all of the fear. And that's what it means to say that I, I died to sin. Uh, you can't let go of the past, but you can let go of your fears and you can't let go of the fear of the future. Um, that same day that William Willimon was asking people, did anybody ever die to become a Christian. There was another woman in the group, and she said, you know, I used to be uh, really afraid to just be by myself. Uh, whenever my husband traveled for business, I, I would either go with him, or I would go and I would stay with a neighbor, with a relative. I just really didn't want to be with myself. I was afraid. And she said that when her husband died, she died as well. And she discovered that once, once you died, there's really nothing left to be frightened of once you've died. Which is the third thing, I think, is you're free from what? And free for what? You're free from fear. But what are you free to do with your life now? Some of you will know the name Arnold Palmer if you're golfers, but uh, it was a while ago, before there was Tiger, there was Jack, and before there was Jack, there was Arnie. That, that's how it worked, Arnold Palmer. And uh, great guys from Latrobe, PA. I was just over there last weekend. And uh, one of the things I discovered is on his wall in his study, there's a plaque that he looked at every time before he went out and played golf, competitive golf. This is what it said. If you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. 
If you'd like to win but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or the faster, but sooner or later, the one who wins is the one who thinks they can. Every time Arnie Palmer took a swing, he thought the ball was going to go straight. Every time he putted, he thought the ball would go in. He would screw up, bogey a hole, and the next time he stood up on the tee box, he thought he was going to birdie it. That's what resurrection, that's the hope of a resurrected life is about. You can screw up, you can mess up, you can sin. Good luck trying not to. We all do. It's never the goal. It's always going to hurt you and somebody else. But, but we do. But we've also died to the power of sin. So we die to the past. We die to shame. We die with Jesus in the water of baptism. But, but we're not buried. We die, but we're not buried. We're forgiven and we're set free to be a new creation and something new in the world. We were baptized, says Paul, into the death of Christ, and every day we are rising with him to a new life in Christ. May God make it so in our world. Amen.